Welcome to another episode of the Cancer Podcast. I'm Karen Das and this is a KDC production. Now, we must know of someone diagnosed with cancer. We might know some who are cancer survivors. Sadly, we might even know some who lost the fight. It is our hope the information provided in these episodes will help improve our knowledge and understanding of cancers, how cancer really affects the body, the psychological impact, and what happens when abnormalities are detected. Joining me for this episode, oncologist Dr. Akash Maniam. Well, hi, yes. Um, good to be back again. Dr. Maniam, if you are just listening to this podcast for the first time, Dr. Maniam practices in the UK. He's also a clinical director at the NGO Caribbean Cancer Research Initiative. Today's episode, we focus on colorectal cancer. Okay, so bowel cancer and colorectal cancer, we can treat, we can treat as the same, even though Technically, the bowel, you have the small bowel and the large bowel. The colorectal cancer would affect the large bowel. But for all intents and purposes, we tend to call colorectal cancer bowel cancer. So it's cancer that affects the large intestine, the colon, and the end of the large intestine, the rectum. But you can have colon cancer, not necessarily have bowel cancer. You can have bowel cancer, not necessarily have colon cancer. So I would say in, in this context, bowel cancer would take on both colon cancer and rectal cancer. So yes, you can have you can have bowel cancer with it without it necessarily being colon cancer because it could be rectal cancer. Uh, but we tend to synonymize bowel cancer with colorectal cancer. And um, do we know what causes colorectal cancer? Okay, so like with like with all cancers, it's a series of genetic mutations that we acquire. But unlike with prostate cancer, there are actually more risk factors that can predispose you to colorectal cancer. And that's why it's very interesting because some of them you can't do anything about and others you can. So for instance, age, we can't do anything about our age. Like most cancers, the incidence increases with age. The older we get, the more likely we are to pick up bowel cancer. Um, certain things like ethnicity, we cannot change. If we look across the world, Ashkenazi Jews and uh, have the highest rates of colon cancer in the world. And African-American people within the United States have the highest incidence of, of colorectal cancer. Those are things that we can't change, as well as our genetics. Because for some people, colon cancer runs in the family. There are hereditary cases of colorectal cancer where some people, their, their mother might have it or their father might have it, their brothers may have it, and they may get it at a very young age. But there are other risk factors that we can definitely change, many of which can apply to people within Trinidad and Tobago and indeed the world such as our lifestyle, our diet. So a diet that is rich in red meat and processed meat, like ham and sausages, they increase the risk of colon cancer. There is some evidence that being low in vitamin D can increase the risk. So getting plenty of sunlight and making sure that your vitamin D levels are normal, that's very important. Type 2 diabetes and obesity increase the risk of colorectal cancer. And those are things that we can modify. Alcohol and tobacco usage they increase the risk of colorectal cancer. And again, those are things that we can modify. So unlike with some of the other cancers, these are very clear risk factors that I think we're all guilty of at least one of those. And there are certainly things that we could then do to reduce our risk. Okay, you just mentioned type 2 diabetes. How is type 2 diabetes a risk factor for colorectal cancer? It's a good question. Honestly, I think we're, we're learning more and more that diabetes actually is a, is a risk factor for many different diseases. Obviously, we know that it's a risk factor for cardiac disease and heart attacks, etc. But 
we're seeing it implicated in more and more cancers. When something is wrong with our sugar metabolism, it increases the production of certain proteins and chemicals in the body that also seem to drive cancer formation and cancer growth. So overall, diabetes is a risk factor. But I think going along with it is that diabetes also has a big overlap with obesity or being overweight, which is also a risk factor because the more fat we have in our body, the more stress we place on our sugar metabolism. And that creates a very toxic environment within the body to keep it simple that increases the risk of cancer. So there is an interplay between these different factors that increases the risk of bowel cancer. But certainly we have a high prevalence of diabetes in Trinidad and Tobago, very, very high. And making if you already have it, it's not too late. Tight control of the diabetes, good control is still going to be beneficial. But for those who don't, obviously making sure that we don't get it is critical. Well, I'm looking at the risk factors that you've just um, just shared with us. A diet, type 2 diabetes, alcohol, tobacco use. Are we seeing more cases of colorectal cancer? Absolutely. It is in what we call the big four. You know, lung cancer, colorectal cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer, the four most common cancers in the world. And I guess, you know, breast predominantly affects women and prostate cancer only affects men. Colorectal cancer can affect both sexes, can affect anybody. And we are certainly seeing it increasing, although partly that is down to better detection and better awareness. But obviously we have an aging population and a population that is increasingly prone to lifestyle diseases because we're not exercising as much and our diets are generally, honestly, they're, they're they leave a lot to be desired. We're eating a lot of processed foods, a lot of fatty foods, a lot of sugary foods. And so the in incidence of diabetes and obesity is going up. So the incidence of cancer is also going up and they feed into each other. So as we become more industrialized, we're also seeing the downsides of it because we're getting the problems of, I guess, an industrialized diet and an increased life expectancy. Now, here's another big question. Is colorectal cancer curable? So like with most cancers, it's yes and no. The earlier we pick up the cancer, the higher the chances of cure. If you pick it up very early, if it's a polyp, for instance, that has only just become cancerous or hasn't even become cancerous, you can prevent or cure almost all cases of colorectal cancer. But the later that it goes on, the more advanced it is, so the bigger it is or the more it has spread, the lower the chance of cure there is. But that said, you can still cure many people with, say, stage 2, stage 3, or even sometimes stage 4 colon cancer. But the rates are much lower than for a stage 1 colorectal cancer or just something that is precancerous itself. So like with breast cancer, for instance, we discussed earlier, or prostate cancer, early detection is always critical. Well, listener, if you keep up with these episodes, you'll note an important theme, which is early detection. Now, there are two persons who help this process, the patient and the doctor. We are actually the first to detect any changes happening to our body. We take this to the doctor who will then investigate based on information provided. But in order for us to know the changes, we have to actually be aware of the changes that could have a big impact. Sometimes we're caught up in very busy lives and we miss the smallest things, which can actually be a savior. So, Dr. Maniam, with today's topic of colorectal cancer, what are the red flags we should be aware of? You're absolutely correct. And I, I, I'm a strong believer that patients and doctors have to share responsibility. There are things that we have to do and there are things that patients have to do. And by working together, you can have much better outcomes. And 
Before we get into the symptoms, I would just like to say colorectal cancer is one of those cancers that has an amazing success story for screening. The screening programs are very effective and they have been shown to reduce the mortality, the death rate of, of colorectal cancer significantly. So the very first thing to tell anybody is that if you're 50 and you've not had any colorectal screening, now is the time. If you have family members with colorectal cancer, you may need to start earlier. But for anyone who doesn't have it, someone with average risk of colorectal cancer, 50 is when you should really start being screened for colon cancer. And we can discuss that a bit later as well. But in terms of symptoms, the symptoms really do depend on where it is. And it can be a bit insidious. If it's down in the rectum or near the base of the bowel, you may have diarrhea or constipation or both. You may feel this urge to pass stool, this discomfort. You may feel this urgency, so you might feel like you just have to run to the bathroom, and sometimes you might not get there in time. You may see blood or mucus in the stool, which, to be honest, if anyone sees blood or mucus in the stool, even if it may be something like a hemorrhoid or something that we don't need to worry about, just get it checked. Always get that checked. If it's higher up in the bowel, in addition to those symptoms, you may have black stool. So we describe it like tar. It can look really black. It can have a really foul smell. And that tells us that there is blood coming from higher up in the tract. You could also just have nonspecific symptoms like stomach pain or weight loss or tiredness. You might find that your skin is becoming a bit pale because you might be losing blood without really knowing about it. And when the doctor does a blood test, they may see your blood count being low. So to a large extent, it depends on where it is, but really, you know what your normal bowel habits should be, like how often you go to the toilet and what your stool normally is. So if there is a change in pattern, you're going more often or less often, or it's changing its consistency, or there's blood in it or mucus, all of those things should really just prompt a check. We'd rather, again, see you and say everything is fine, it's all good, rather than have you sit on something potentially deadly and not know about it. Well, someone listening might find some of those familiar. So they make an appointment to go see a doctor. What should they expect? Okay, so let's say you're 50, you just turned 50. There's no one in your family with bowel cancer. You go to the doctor and you say, look, I, I want to be screened for colorectal cancer because that is when we normally would start. So that is different. If you have family members with colon cancer, you should go and just ask your doctor, what age should I start? Because it varies for them. But for everyone else, you start at 50. There are several good options available, okay? The most invasive is obviously a colonoscopy. And that is not an easy test. I won't pretend it's an easy test. No one likes the idea of going to get a colonoscopy. It is, it is an uncomfortable examination where, for those who don't know, you're, you're taking essentially a tube with a camera and going up into the back passage and looking around the bowel. The advantage of that is that if they see something, you directly can see it and you can sometimes take a sample from it or even remove it if it's small and you know exactly what it is. And if the if the colon is completely clear, for most people, you could then have it every 10 years. So you don't need to worry about it. You can just go live your life normally in between. But for those who don't want to have that, which is completely understandable, you can actually have stool testing. And there are certain stool tests that look for the presence of blood or for certain proteins, and you can do those every year. So you have to do that every year, and you usually take three samples of stool, take it to a certain lab. Not all labs do it, but many of them are able to offer it now. 
and they check. And if it's negative, you do it every year. If it's positive, you then have a colonoscopy to confirm what they've seen. So the disadvantage is that if it's positive, you still need to have a colonoscopy. The advantage is that it's much cheaper and it's obviously less invasive than a colonoscopy because you can collect the sample at home and bring it in. But unlike a colonoscopy, you have to do it every year. But those are definitely the things that they're all perfectly valid. They're all good tests. They've all been shown to improve outcomes across the world. So any of them is fine by me. It's just more important that we're engaging and doing them regularly. That's all. Well, listener, I hope this episode was helpful. If you have any questions for Dr. Maniam, you can leave me a message and we'll explore in the next episode. For those who are new to this series, The Cancer Podcast, Dr. Akash Maniam is an oncologist practicing in the UK. He's also a clinical director at the NGO Caribbean Cancer Research Initiative. I encourage you to visit their website, the CCRI's website. Follow on Instagram as well. They have wonderful information and they offer some amazing services, including a free service called the Telehealth Service. So, Dr. Maniam, nice catching up with you again and we look forward to next episode. As we wrap up, how about you share details about that telehealth service? Sure. So anyone can go on the website, ccrinitiative.com, and you can see various ways of getting on to us, whether by email, directly through the web page, WhatsApp, Instagram, etc. And essentially, we just offer a free advisory service to anyone who wants to understand their condition more. So it's, it's mostly geared towards people who have cancer or families of those who have cancer. And they just want to understand more about the condition they have, the treatment they're having, questions about side effects or where their treatment is going, the kinds of things that you might not have time in clinic to discuss You know, when everything is so busy and the kinds of questions you might forget to ask in a busy clinic and then you remember on the drive home. So it's there just to try and help fill those gaps and if we can at least build some more knowledge and empowerment and give confidence to people that they're on the right path and to help demystify some of these concepts, just reach out. We're happy to help.